Hey, Broadway fans, get ready for another exciting week of Broadway Breakdown with us as we discuss the film adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. Hey guys, welcome for our film adaptation conversation for the Little Shop of Horrors show. Uh, again, we are playing the songs. I, I just love the music in this show. It's just so fun and I'm so stuck in your head for weeks at a time afterwards. I know, I've literally had this song in my head all week getting ready for this. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Brianna Phipps. I'll be your host for today. You can find me at bphipps14 on Twitter and Instagram, bphipps1214 on Snapchat. Uh, Jackie unfortunately couldn't be with us here today, but we do have a very special guest with us. Do you want to tell us who you are and where they can find you? Hey guys, I'm Lucretia Lyons. You can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. Um, all right, so we're going to start off our show as we always do with our Broadway News of the Week, always brought to us by Robert Diamond and BroadwayWorld.com. Uh, so the first story we have is Something Rotten. Uh, Adam Pascal is going to be joining the cast playing Shakespeare. Um, I don't know if you know about this show. It's kind of a ridiculous, ridiculous, over-the-top, hilarious show um, <laughs> set in the past, but like uh, Shakespeare especially is supposed to be like the rock star. So it's like two playwrights that are, but Shakespeare's always kind of in their way. It's what I, I've actually never seen it, but I've, this is what I've heard. Uh, so he's just always in their way, kind of blocking their every move to get their next hit out. And he's kind of like the rock star of the show. That's so funny. And I'm already casting Rick Springfield in the next revival <laughs> just by hearing that. <laughs> um, but I love Adam Pascal. He's, of course, best known from Rent. Uh, I think that he has that rocky voice and that he'll do great in it. Um. That's going to be starting, he's going to be starting taking over um, Monday, November 7th through the final show, which is on January 1st. Uh, and he's taking over a course for Will Chase, who's going to have his last one October 9th. Will Chase was best known from most people in Smash that are outside of the Broadway world, if you ever watched Smash. Yes, yeah, I actually <laughs> like Will Chase a lot. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, some more news we have... Uh, Ewan Morton and Hannah Corno will take over in Hedwig and the Angry Inch Tour, and Darren, Chris, and Lena Hall are going to wrap it up in November, which means they're only going to be here uh, through L.A.'s tour, I guess. Oh, yeah. So I guess they're both just ending. <laughs> they did the San Francisco, come to L.A., and then hop off, because this is where they're... Maybe this is where... I know Darren, Chris lives here. I don't know if Lena does, but... Must be. They're like, all right, we're home. We'll just stay. <laughs> um, Lena was the original in the revival that they did on Broadway, um, playing... I can never pronounce the name because it's so German, but the girl that's dressed as a man uh, throughout it, and Darren, of course, is playing Hedwig. So that for the rest of you on the tour that takes over after L.A., these are who you will get to see. Um, And then our last bit of news here today is Pylopone and Christine Ebersol will bring Dueling Divas of War paint to Broadway in spring of 2017. Uh, it was the most successful show in the history of Chicago's Goodman's Theater, and now it's going to come to New York. Uh, you have Pilopone, so I don't think you can lose right there at yeah. all. Um, it also just sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be opening for previews in March March 7th of next year, and it's going to open officially on April 6th at the Nederlander Theater. 
it's going to be sold. The musical's been playing out to sold out runs in Chicago this summer. So you should probably, if you're in the New York area, uh, get tickets to that. Let us know how it is. Um, so that's all the news we have for today. So thank you again, always, to Robert Diamond, BroadworldWorld.com for giving this to us. Yeah, and uh, we've already got some people in the chat here. Jazz41173 wanted to remind us that Will Chase was in Nashville. And yeah, he is oh, actually... Oh, yeah, I've actually never watched Nashville. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he won't be back for the CMT, you know, continuation. Uh, but he will be missed, yeah. Oh, great. Hmm. Well, Will Chase. Yeah. Good, I good always, luck, it's always yeah. weird to me. Whenever I think of Will Chase, it's always because of the Tony Awards. Um I think it was like three years ago, maybe four years ago now. I can't remember exactly. But it was when they did this whole spiel about uh, Broadway people going into television and then their television shows failing and having to go back to Broadway um, because you make so much less money. (laughs) And uh, I just remember because Andrew Reynolds, that was the year that he did that new normal show. Yeah, which I liked. Yeah. And so there, and that was the year Smash got canceled. We'll chase on Smash. And Megan Hilty was also singing it. And she said, like, something like, well, Chase, like, his show got canceled, but at least he was nominated for a Tony this year. And then they all just start saying, suck it, Will Chase. And that's every time I hear his name, that's all suck I think Suck it, of. Will Chase. Suck it, Will Chase. Yeah, because he and Laura Benanti were both on there. And I Laura wish... Laura Benanti also sang in that. Movie. Yeah. It's like, they would have been really good together. Yeah. Well, let's dive right into this show. Um, Lucretia, you were not here last week, of course, yes. for our theater <laughs> discussion. But you told me you're a huge, huge fan of this show, movie, so... What are your overall thoughts when you first, like, when did you first see this movie? Oh, when I was a little kid, uh, my parents were big Steve Martin fans. It's actually really funny. The jerk, uh, my brother would go around saying, I was born a poor black child. (laughs) And because Steve Martin's from Texas, like I am. So, you know, it was a big thing there. And this is one of actually my favorite performances of him because he's just so over the top and ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the performances in this that I think kind of steals the show in a way. Like he just like, is I so iconic in this? Um, and he kept it with like the feel of the kind of rock and roll that I liked that they did. But yeah. the original off Broadway cast, I didn't, the guy who played it, I didn't feel that from him. So I'm glad that Steve Martin still had the rock. Like he brought that rock and roll edge into it, which is what I think they used when they revived it in 2003 to make the new one. So I think he kind of inspired that. Yeah, because, and to me, I feel like Meatloaf's performance as Eddie in the Rocky Horror Picture Show sort of inspired him in some ways. Just, you know, I'd love to ask him that question because it is very <laughs> similar to the goofiness and the, the really explosive rock and roll entrance. I, I love that because, you know, it's still a good throwback to something else I love. Plus his little, like, dance moves, his little, like, jumps <laughs> yeah. were always fun. Um, now let's talk about some of the other actors that we have here. We have Rick Moranis, who played Seymour, which... If there was anyone to typecast into a role, like, <laughs> Rick Moranis just visually looks like the perfect Seymour. Like, yeah. they couldn't have wished for a person to be bigger at the time to look like that part. I love Rick Moranis, too. It's unfortunate that he just really strictly does voiceover now because he is such a good live actor. Yeah. Well, it's like, that that was his whole big period of time, too. Mm. That was, like, all the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah like, he was just such a big actor at that time for these like character roles so this was i think perfect for him and he sang really well too which it's always when you make a movie adaptation you're always gonna be like okay they have to use some hollywood people like are they gonna be able to sing and he, i think he did a pretty good job with the singing yeah yeah i was impressed i was like is that rick moranis singing i remember <laughs> looking that up and being like oh it is it is it's rick moranis um and then of course we have ellen green playing audrey and she was the original audrey um I, I love Ellen Green. It's just, like, sometimes, for me, this st- 
breathiness kind of mm. can be a little too much, uh, which is why I prefer the revival with <laughs> Carrie Butler uh, voice better. But I still love her in this role, and I think she plays it really well. And I love that they brought the person that was in the original to the movie to give like a little fan throw out for the people of the original show. Yeah, I really like that when they at least have some incorporation of the original Broadway play and things like that in movies. And I think she was a good choice, but yeah, I agree with the voice thing. It could be a little grating at times, but, you know, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we had Vincent Gardenia playing Mr. Mushnick, and we're going to get into this later. He had a much smaller role in the movie than he does in the play. Of course, and they cut all of his songs. So yeah. I don't know if it's just because like he couldn't sing or didn't feel comfortable singing, or they just didn't like the songs. But so I, I mean, he did a good job for what it was, but I just didn't feel like he had much of a character in the movie. Yeah, in the movie, they sort of cut out a lot of it, and it's really interesting though, is I felt like the movie they didn't think he was as important character. Yeah, like he was just the like person to give a setting i guess yeah i was like that's how it felt to me i was like okay so to them it's not as important as focusing more on you know the audrey relationship mm -hmm. yeah um and then we have levi stubbs played audrey too or, or was the voice i should say <laughs> of audrey too many many people played audrey too in this uh and he did a great job of the yeah. i think there's one thing you have to have to play audrey and that's a great evil laugh and he had a great evil <laughs> laugh so he fit my my uh, criteria to play the role. And it was interesting that Eddie Murphy was originally offered the really? role of the voice. Yeah, I read that somewhere. I don't know if I would have liked Eddie Murphy playing it. He, I feel like it would have been a much different plant. Yeah, his laugh would not have been so much evil as in sort of like a fatherly laugh. Like Because yeah. I'm trying to think of all the other Eddie Murphy laughs. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm I just think thinking like yeah. Donkey from Shrek because of voice acting. Like that's what my <laughs> mind goes to with Eddie Murphy. And I'm like thinking his voice as the donkey being the plant and it's just not connecting <laughs> in my head um and then of course we have our three girls uh Tichina arnold michelle weeks and tisa campbell played crystal Renette and chiffon i did not realize that tisha campbell was in this movie until i rewatched it this morning <laughs> like i just didn't even think about it because she hasn't aged at all but no. it was just a matter of like i didn't think about and i was like Oh, Martin, Dr. You know, Dr. Ken, she's still working and she still looks the same. Uh, their roles in the movie. Mm. They're I, well, well, what I should say, because they still have a pretty dominant mm. role as the backup singers in the movie. But as the actual characters of Chiffon and them like interacting, they had a much smaller role. And I, you can tell me what you think of this. I almost would have liked them to just not have them interact with the characters at all and just be like these backup singers that show up because it was kind of weird to me to have them be like these like street urchin types on this then all of a sudden be dressed two seconds later in fancy gowns singing and it was like I don't know what to think. Yeah, to me, that's really one of the only awkward parts of the movie because I love the cheesiness and especially for that time period, it so worked. Uh, but yeah, that was like, you know, I like them just being off in the background, sort of like, you know, yeah, the guys like in could, the Muppets. Like, yeah, like yeah. it could be like the Hairspray Girls. Like, yeah. The same thing. Like, just have them be the backup doo-wop singers because if you're going to barely give them a role in the movie anyway, like, it, why even have them be there yeah. besides the backup singers? Um, so then we have... A ton of cameos in this yes. movie. There are so many star cameos in this movie. Of course, we have uh, James Belushi, Jim Belushi's mm -hmm. character playing Patrick Martin, who was only given this role because the guy that was originally was supposed to play it wasn't available for the reshoots. Yeah, which was John Dooley, I believe. Yeah. yeah. 
who's actually been into After Buzz, which is oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should have brought him back in for yeah. a and like how to feel to be replaced in the movie. No. <laughs> I think he is in the director's cut. Yeah, he's yeah. in the director's cut. Um, and then we have Bill Murray, which was phenomenal. And actually, for those of most people haven't watched the original movie, I recently watched it to prepare for the show. And that part is in the original movie because it's not in the musical. And it's played by, uh, and now I'm blanking on the name. Ah! Let's see, my makeup. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, Jack, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, thank yeah. you. Why was I blanking on that? Uh, Jack Nicholson, it's one of his first roles he ever had. Uh, he was in the Little Shop of Horrors 1960 film that was not a musical film. And then, actually, if you want to watch a <laughs> film and just laugh your ass off, like, it's go so watch fun. that film. But it was young Jack Nicholson. I think he was, like, 23 years old. And that was who Bill Murray is playing. Um, they give him a different name. He's Arthur Denton in the new one. But, yeah, that's that's where that came from, which I think is really fun that they yeah. took that from the original. I almost kind of wanted them to. I wonder if they tried to get Jack Nicholson. Yeah, to just play it again. That would be interesting. I never read that anywhere. But, yeah, I remember watching the original in theater class uh, in high school. <laughs> and I'm like, that's Jack Nicholson, the Joker. Yeah. I just... I think it might be so funny to watch him come back and replay that role. <laughs> like, one of the first roles you ever had. After you got successful, come back and replay it would be fun for me to yeah. watch. Yeah, that would be fun, especially because he's such a good actor. And what's interesting about Bill Murray being in this movie is that this is actually the only film he's in with Steve Martin. Is it? The, yeah, they had, like, such an interesting, you know, similar trajectory, especially in the 80s. So, yeah, it's odd to think about that this is the only film they're in together. Huh. I never even like really thought about it. I guess in my head, like they just had worked together a bunch of times. They work with Rick Moranis a lot, but always <laughs> separately. <laughs> um, and then we have Christopher Guest, who, uh, of course, yes. is from The Princess Bride and Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Uh, and he's uh, the first customer that walks in into the shop and yeah. like is just this really corny over the top person of being like what a strange and remarkable plant you have there like, yeah and it's just so like weird to think of it it's like that's christopher guest the guy that spawned like so many you know movies like and literally put eugene levy in every single one of them yeah, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um and then we have miriam uh margoyles who played the dental nurse who always kind of gets hit in the face <laughs> with the door uh, and most of us nowadays would prefer to her as Professor Sprout from Harry Potter. That's how I know her, at least. That's um, funny. And I hear that Steve Martin was the one who wanted them wanted to punch her in the face <laughs> and, like, you know, pull the head off the doll. It doesn't surprise so. me at all that Steve Martin would improvise some of yes. these things into it that made it, like, such a... He, uh, he's such, like, a stage actor in that way where I think, like, he feels totally comfortable, like, being like, no, we should try it this way. Like, let's just see. Yeah. Um... And then we have Stanley Jones was the narrator, and he's a big voice actor. He played uh, Scrooge, I believe. Uh, he was in Transformers. I think he also, uh, I wrote down Lex Luthor in Superman. Like, he has yeah. that iconic kind of, like, evil-ish sounding voice. So he worked for the narrator of the beginning of the movie. <laughs> uh, and then this was, like, a little thing that I didn't know. Um, the first patient that Steve Martin works on that comes out with this huge cage over her mm -hmm. head is actually Jim Henson's daughter. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Heather Henson. So she got put into the movie as Owen's, Owen's first patient to be like completely <laughs> killed and have a cage put around her head. <laughs> uh, so that was fun for, I'm sure him and her and everybody. That's a little Easter egg for you from the movie. Oh, that's cute. 
I know a lot. We've got a few comments here in the chat. Felix Alvarez, you know, of course, talks about uh, Miss Green, and he forgave her voice when suddenly Seymour came on. Super powerful. Yeah, yes, yeah I would yes. agree. That was I her agree. best. That song. was her standout yeah. song. I think it's just more somewhere that's green. Um, I want it to. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just so used to Carrie Butler's voice. That's just partly a, a, a thing that I'm just used to. So when you hear something else, it's like... You're, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, like I watched this movie, but I was very young the last time I'd watched this movie before recently. So and she, her voice wasn't the one that stuck in my head as, as Audrey. Uh, talking about the musical numbers. So we had some changes to existing songs in this. They took uh, the song You Never Know or... I can't remember the thing, but they changed to some fun now, which was weird to me that they, I don't, I kind of liked it better as the original. Don't want to go to show. You never know. You never know. Yeah. That's what it was called. Um, I don't know. What do you, you, have you heard the, you never know versus some fun now? It's like they use similar uh, parts of it um, and kept some parts of it, but the chorus and overall were some fun now instead of you never know. Yeah. To me, it was an odd change. Yeah. It didn't make yeah. sense to me as to why the change was made. I guess. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's like I get when they change it, you know, just whether it's The Little Mermaid or Newsies, you know, whatever they go with, I can understand, you know, they can expand on characters in the play or in the movie, so there's usually a purpose to add that, but yeah, for this, I was like, why? Yeah, it mm-hmm. just, he's having some fun now, like, and it doesn't make sense, like, he's having <laughs> to kill people to get fame, it doesn't make sense that he's having some fun now to me. Uh, and then the Meekshawn Harrett, they changed, they shortened it. Uh, they have the extended version, I believe, on the CD, but they shortened it. And of course, instead of having these characters throughout the song, they're all jumbled into the beginning of it, which I was fine with for the movie adaption, because to me, you don't need the the fun part about that song in the play is that it's the guy who plays Oren coming back and playing these char- every single one of those characters. Yeah. So you can't do that in film because it would be too obvious. Uh, so I was totally fine with them making that change. It wasn't something I felt needed to stay the same. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, we also had taking out clothes for renovation, Mushnick and Son, sudden changes. Now it's the gas, call back in the morning, some Nixon supper time. Like there's so many little songs that like I didn't realize, I guess, that were taken out. Somewhere that's green reprise. Um, and don't feed the plants. I mean, some of these were added back in when they, they have two different endings, which we're going to get into. So some of them were added back in, but for the other ending. But yeah, they took out a lot of those. And most of them, I actually don't care that they did. Yeah. Uh, Mushnick and Sun isn't one of my favorites. So even though it took away Mushnick's like, main song, like I was fine. The only one I kind of wish they kept in was uh, Now It's Just the Gas, because I just would love to see Steve Martin sing it. Yeah, that's actually one of the comments in here. Jazz four one one seven three says it's just the gas was taken out completely. Steve and Rick would have killed that. Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That would have been a really fun thing. I think Steve Martin would have had so much fun with it, like dancing around with that contraption on his face and yelling at Seymour. Like I'm kind of sad that they took that one out. Can we get a? Can we get that redone, Steve Martin, Rick Moranis? Can you guys get together, redo it? Yeah, come on, Rick Moranis, come out of hiding just just once, <laughs> just do this song. <laughs> I know, and, and then, he also mentions that little, uh, Big Green Mother was nominated for an Oscar, but it didn't win. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah. And that's what we're. What I was about to get into yeah. was that's the ad song. But before we do that, because we do have a video um, of that that I would like to show as we're talking about it. We do this tradition on this show called Diva Song, <laughs> which you're going to tell us now. What is your Diva Song? 
that you listen to and you just sing out loud at the top of your lungs from this show? What is your favorite go-to song to sing? From this show? Mm-hmm. I really do like Big Green Mother because it's, it's just such a quirky song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Mine was Southern yeah. Seymour for a week. Oh, yeah, last week, but that's just because I love to belt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Like I said, we have a video that I wanted to show with the Mean Green Mother because that's going to help us talk into our next subject, which I want to talk about, which is mm. this amazing puppet that they created for this. Um, while that gets loaded up, uh, so Mean Green Mother, of course, you always have to when you make a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that is the one thing that this one does is. Let's the plant tells them that he's from outer space. Yeah. It doesn't do that in the music. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think this was actually the first song nominated for an Oscar to have uh, foul language in it. It was, yeah. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so let's talk about this puppet. This they did an amazing job. I mean, this is nineteen eighty six, and this puppet it looks real. Like, the lips moving. Like, they did such a great job with this thing. Yeah, Frank Oz is just fantastic. Like, I mean, and he had done the, the Dark Crystal, I believe, was before this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously some Muppet stuff. but And he was Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and Fozzie Bear. Yeah, everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Um, I just, it just astounds me, though, that we have this, like, technology where we can have this amazing, amazing looking puppet that moves so realistically that the lips move that they made in 1986 and nowadays all we do is CGI everything. And I much prefer like makeup and puppets and stuff. Uh, yeah, me too. Cause like one, I think it helps the actors tremendously. Like instead of singing to some green stick, that's yeah. going to be something you're singing to an actual thing. And that I think makes it easier for you to get into the part and kind of lose your reality yeah and i'm just such a big puppet fan in general i love greg the bunny even the muppets all the revivals of the muppets and you know things and i will say i do give the show grim a little bit of credit because they do try to do more makeup and less cgi they started getting more cgi after the first season which kind of was upsetting hurt me um and so this plant obviously has its different stages as does the one in the show where we have the little one moving to a medium-sized one moving to the huge one um and i read it and i'm not and correct me if i'm wrong people in the chat or all or, or the creature if you know i read that it took around 60 people to operate the full-sized plant wow that does seem i remember it was like quite a lot that that's what they had to you know that's where they spent all their money which yeah. which really worked though it was cool <laughs> hey, it was worth it um and so if people are asking why couldn't we have a plant like this on the Broadway show, this is why you can't <laughs> yeah. have a plant like this on the Broadway show. There's not enough it, room. <laughs> it takes way too many people yeah. to operate um, and probably can't be done as easily through a stage as it can through a set. Um, yeah, it just, they just, sorry, it just amazes me. Like they did such a great job with it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that made, for me as a child, this movie so scary it was because it was so realistic <laughs> like i was terrified of venus fly traps for so long i had one but my cat ate it <laughs> i'll see yeah In my head it would have gone the other way yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and you know the other thing that it did was i think you know this movie didn't get it got great reviews like not like amazing reviews but it got decent reviews and it didn't do well in theaters as much but it did really well in video sales and 
I think that you can owe a lot of that to this plant. Yeah. Because of how much effort and time, like you can tell how much love was put into this production. Um, yeah, the chat, uh, Jazz41173 says, Jim Henson and Cuffy were and are incredible. And, you know, says, you know, what what other song has I'm going to bust your balls in it? <laughs> <laughs> Tough titties. Yeah. No shit, you're like, oh, I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so as you were saying, uh, though, this was the song that had <laughs> yeah. profanity in it that had to be adjusted when they performed it on the Tony Awards because of the profanity mm-hmm. that it had. Uh, before getting into the Tony Awards, or not Tony, Academy Awards, Though I want to talk about, they changed the ending to a happy ending. What do you think about that? I think certainly with the time period, it was fitting. I mean, nowadays, most people are expecting a not happy ending because that's just sort of how we are now. But in the 80s, I mean, especially when you're dealing with puppets and fun people like Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, everybody going to that theater were expecting it to be a happy ending. So to not do it, I felt like they made a good choice there. I kind of would like them to have done the original ending, um, which they did shoot. They originally wanted to do it as that kind of dark ending where Seymour and Audrey die. Uh, and they, fu- I think it's on the DVD. And if not, you can actually find it. I found it on <laughs> YouTube. Um, if you get a chance, go look it up. But, write an original ending of uh, Little Shop of Horrors uh, film. It is the most amazing thing. <laughs> you have just plants literally taking over New York. <laughs> New York. Um, and it's hilarious to watch. It's like 11 minutes long was how, was how much more the original ending was than the one that they used. Um, I didn't mind the way that they did it, that being said. But I just would have liked them to keep it as the kind of... But I, I also like things that don't necessarily end happy a lot of movies and plays I oh love i don't agree <laughs> it's like i don't need a happy ending especially you know if you were already familiar with this you know source material before it but yeah i do get like at that time you know got you got et making kids cry <laughs> let's let's have something that doesn't yeah oh no they they killed the plan well, they did put like the little point yeah. at the end that's mm-hmm. not like you're thinking oh it's yeah. not it's not finished yet sequel that's what they always do um <laughs> The one issue I did have with the ending is, like, we have this amazing plan. We have all this amazing stuff happening throughout this show. Um, and then they go and blow the plant up with electricity, and it just turns into, like, sparkles. And then it's just gone. I, I wish that there was just, like, pieces of plants just hanging, like, dead off the rafters of the, like, now demolished building. I kind of would have rather that have been, the, if they're going to kill the plant, like, Make it like a gruesome death for this thing. Yeah, it would be really funny. <laughs> Not just sparkle it to yeah. death. <laughs> yeah, don't make it a 2016 vampire sparkle to death. That was the most 80s slash 90s thing <laughs> about this film to me. It was just when the electricity hits the plant and like the like neon glow surrounds it. Like I was like, oh, yeah, this was an 80s film. <laughs> I forgot that until just now, but it's an 80s film. <laughs> yeah, the 80s just had such a distinct use of puppets and sparkles and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now going back to the Academy Awards, um, we do have another video, and while we're queuing that up, I'll just say also what it got nominated for. It got nominated for the song Big Green Mother, and that's what the video is going to be, and it's the video has the plant, and you'll see that it's not the plant from the movie. <laughs> it is a much... You'll appreciate the plant they used in the music uh, cool in 2003 now much more <laughs> once you see this plant. Um, I love and then it also got nominated for Best Visual Effects. Oh, wow. Felix Alvarez has a funny comment. He said, God, she wants a Mortal Kombat fatality for Audrey, too. I do. Oh, yeah. 
It's fatality. Hey, the plant ate people. Are we feeling bad for it? Are we not wanting it to have a gruesome death? I know. It ate Steve Martin, guys. It ate Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. it didn't even get. Didn't even eat Audrey. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so this is the point. And then, of course, the guy performing it is the actual <laughs> voice. And they have censored it to be okay to watch on national television. <laughs> Nowadays, so no they just titties. let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm guessing, because it, it only says like one curse word. So I'm guessing it must have been like the tough titties and like all that stuff that they must have had to censor. Yeah. And probably like the balls line. Yeah. The balls. Like nowadays, <laughs> no, people wouldn't, yeah. uh, wouldn't mind any of that stuff. Uh, but back then, they still had more censoring than we have today. Uh, it also was one of the only two songs sung by a villain to be ever nominated. The only other one was Blame Canada from South Park. That's what I was going to mention. I was like, well, I heard Robin Williams sing that on the Oscars, and he says the lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, we're not censored yeah, anymore. That, yeah, not they so bleeped much. him, but yeah. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to discuss concerning the film? Oh, let's see. I just think... Wouldn't it be interesting if John Belushi would have been alive? Do you think that they would have still picked J his brother Jim to play the role? I, because I think it would have depended you know, on his schedule. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, John Belushi was definitely the bigger name of the family at that, especially at that time period. Uh, Jim Belushi, I think, got bigger '90s. Yes, yeah, when he started doing more sitcom work, yeah. and, and to me, he really did fit in the role. But you know, it's always like with River versus Joaquin, what might have been, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I still think that Jim Belushi's a great actor like he's fun to yeah. watch um i think he has like it sucks to be in that position you have a lot to live up to being compared to your brother for the rest of your life but uh i'm not sure if they would would think it would have depended yeah because i'm like you know he was used to working with people like steve martin that's why i was so like yeah, that that, been i don't know yeah. maybe not though considering yeah. that jim wasn't the original person they picked for that role yeah exactly it was john dooley yeah so maybe yeah. they wouldn't have yeah john belushi maybe who knows up to the fates of the stars of, <laughs> of rewriting history if we could to see um so this being said like i know that you are not necessarily as big of a fan mm -hmm. of the musical shows of the movie but we like to do what do we prefer when we have finished discussing both mm -hmm. so what would you prefer the movie versus the musical I definitely love this movie because it's got so many people that I grew up loving and watching like Bill Murray, Rick Moranis, and of course, Steve Martin. So like, I really do like to see people that, you know, I'm used to. Uh, for me, I think it's almost kind of mm. equal. Like I equally love watching the film and watching the show. Uh, I may, I will say uh, audio wise, if I'm going to choose one to listen to, I'm going to choose the theater show. So for as far as just soundtracks go, I'll go theater. But as far as visually, I think I'm equal. I, I don't think I can really make a choice in between the two. Yeah, because Audrey 2 is definitely better in the movie. <laughs> but they did a yeah. really great job. Jim Henson yeah, still what they did a really great job with. of the yeah. that they had uh, for the 2003. It moved really realistically. Um, and it's always fun to see, like, take something like that you can make really great on a film and see what you can make out of it on theater yeah because i've always been curious if julie tamar would be interested in doing a revival yeah because she is such a good you know well our last one was over yeah. 10 years ago we're exactly. due for a revival yeah come on people let's see it let's see what we can do get steve martin to play the dentist again exactly <laughs> he um, still looks the same too right? he and tisha campbell you can easily hire them and i bet rick moranis looks just like it too probably bill murray oh my god yeah 
All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for our film talk for Little Shop of Horrors. Next week, we'll be back talking Rocky Horror Picture Show Theater. Um, also, this Thursday at 10 p.m. on AfterBuzz TV, our sister network, I will be discussing the Fox's version um, of Rocky Horror that's going to be coming out that night. So make sure to tune into both of those, and we'll see you next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 